Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. We are in the midst of a study of the ministry of Elijah and moving in in a couple of weeks to the ministry of Elisha. And as we have seen, the context of this ministry is within the kingdom that was established by a man named Omri. Omri was the head of a house that ruled over Israel, but did not rule according to the word of the Lord, but did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And God specifically raised up this prophet, Elijah, to come against the evil ministry or the evil kingdom of Omri and his son, now Ahab. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19 in verses 1 through 18. Now, Mark Twain once famously said, history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And in our passage for this morning, we hear a rhyme of Israel's history. Now, various authors and commentators have sought to understand this specific text in light of Elijah's emotional response to Israel's continuing apostasy. One would think that following such a display as the defeat of the prophets of Baal, that all of Israel would return to the Lord in mass. Yet this is not what occurs. The people continue in their apostasy, and in particular, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel continue not following the Lord. So is Elijah's journey to Mount Horeb that we'll read about, which is another way of saying Mount Sinai, they're the same mountain, just a different name. Is it an attempt to run away from the problem of Israel's continuing sin? Is his journey a response to Jezebel's threat, being fearful of what is going to come? Is Elijah running away in fear, seeking asylum in a far country? Is that what this text is about? Or is something more occurring? Is there something more than a psychological painting of Elijah's prophetic disappointment and stress? As we look at the details of our passage, we come to see that Elijah's journey to Mount Horeb is so much more than a flight for safety or sorrow. As we look at the text, we begin to hear an echo from biblical history, a rhyme with another prophet who found himself alone on this same mountain some 600 years earlier. For Elijah is provided with miraculous bread and water and his journey on his way to Mount Horeb. He endures a 40-day fast leading to his encounter with the Lord. Elijah experiences the Lord through wind, earthquake, and fire. He's hidden in a rock to protect him from the presence of the Lord which passes by him. He prays that the Lord would take his life because the burden of ministry has become too much. And he's denied this request. And following his encounter with the Lord, he is commissioned for a divine task. You see, biblical history isn't repeating itself, but Elijah's exodus sure does sound as though it's rhyming with the ministry of Moses. And the rhyme shows us something important. 
that the Lord is continuing to communicate to His people. You see, this is a story not mainly about fear or disappointment. This is a passage of Scripture that is mainly about an exodus to the mountain of God. The exodus of Elijah in which the Lord reveals both His judgment and His salvation. So let us turn to our text and see how this exodus unfolds. 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy word. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And of the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to him in prayer. Well, Father God, we come to you now in this time, and even as the prophet Elijah came to hear the word of the Lord on Mount Horeb, as Moses went to the same mountain to hear your word and your covenant proclaimed, we now come to you that by the power of your spirit, you might speak to us in that low whisper that as we hear your word, we might receive it in faith and believe and receive the salvation that you have so graciously offered to us in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen. For us to have a clear understanding of what is happening in our text, we first need to understand the background. So a bit of a reminder of where we've been. The major event that has just occurred is this battle between the prophets of Baal and the Lord through his prophet Elijah. In this battle... The God of Israel has proven himself over and against the false gods of Canaan. Baal could not provide the rain that he had promised. He could not receive the sacrifice that was offered. As you remember, Elijah mocks the prophets of Baal and say, maybe Baal is asleep. Maybe he's relieving himself. Why don't you call out louder? But it doesn't matter what they did. There was nothing that this false god could do. The Lord, in contrast, consumes the sacrifice in fire and then sends rain upon the land. Now, the main thing that we have to understand by way of background is that the Lord has now defeated this false god of Canaan. Much as the Lord had defeated the false gods of Egypt through the ten plagues, each plague aimed at the supposed power of an Egyptian god. Now the Lord has defeated another god. He has defeated Baal. And one would expect that the people of Israel would recognize the power of their god and turn from their idolatry. One would assume that Ahab would see that he had been defeated and he would repent and he would turn to the Lord and again follow the word of the Lord. But what we see from our text is that evidence will not cause repentance. Ahab informs his wife Jezebel that Elijah has destroyed the prophets of Baal, but the defeat of her God and of her prophets does not prove anything to her. Look down again at verse 2. See her response to this news that her God has been defeated. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. The evidence is plain for her to see. Her gods could not send fire. They could not send rain. They had lost and the Lord, he had won. But Jezebel did not turn Like Pharaoh of old, her heart was hardened by what she saw at the miraculous work of the Lord. I think that some of us wish that our faith could be bolstered by such divine displays of power. 
We want to see the miracle. We wish that the nightly news would report this vivid display of God's power. Then we would truly believe and then the nations would turn, right? And in other news, the Lord God has stopped Russian aggression again and President Vladimir Putin has come to the Lord. It's a great miracle. And we think that everyone then would turn to the Lord. But these great and miraculous displays of power do not change hearts. What we see is that miracles may excite a crowd, but they do not cause faith to arise. They get people's attention, but their minds do not change. This is why the Lord Jesus refused to perform for His detractors. For we read in the Gospel of Mark, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. You see, the first thing that we learn about the exodus of God's people is that miracles do not change hearts. Faith does not arise from signs. Faith is a gift from God that is given through the hearing of the Word of God, right? Faith comes through hearing and hearing the Word of God. And therefore, we should not be surprised that Jezebel and the rest of Israel do not repent from their idolatry. For it is God's Word that will bring us salvation. Now, just as we read Jezebel has taken an oath to kill Elijah... He flees to Beersheba, which is about a hundred miles south of Jezreel, where they, where the story begins. Elijah flees from Israel in the north down to Judah in the south. And then we read this in verse four. He went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Remember the big picture of what's going on. Omri has established an evil kingdom in Israel. The Lord has raised up the prophet Elijah to bring down this kingdom. Elijah has been hiding in remote deserts. He has been living with foreign widows. He has risked his life in battle with the prophets of Baal. He has called Ahab to repentance. He has given everything to the Lord and to this ministry. And Ahab and Jezebel are just as firmly entrenched in their leadership of Israel as they were when he began his ministry. Lord, whatever you're doing, it doesn't seem to be working. You have chosen the wrong man for this job. Obviously, I'm no better than anybody else. In these words, we see that Elijah is completely exhausted. He runs away from Jezebel because he fears her death threats. And he ventures out into the wilderness so that he can just lay down and die. And so he falls asleep in utter despair, hoping never to wake up again. Have you ever come to the end of your rope in this manner? You've given all that you have. And it's not enough. 
The forces at play in your life are bigger and more powerful than you. And no matter how hard you push against them, you don't seem to see any progress in what God has called you to. You look to the Lord and you say, I just can't do it any longer, Lord. I cannot go forward anymore. What you have called me to is too much. And we see that Elijah was a man of like nature to you and to me. He had his limits. And we come to the end, we see that God is teaching us a lesson. You see, salvation and deliverance will not come from our own power and gifting, but from the Lord alone. Elijah wakes up and he comes to a new morning. And the Lord provides for him bread and water to sustain him on a mission he did not realize he had already begun. For the Lord is gracious to Elijah. He gives him the rest and He gives him the nourishment he needs. You see, even in Elijah's despair and flight, the Lord had a plan. Elijah may have thought that he was running away, but in reality, he was running towards the next stage in his mission. The Lord brought him to a place of weakness to prepare him for what was next. You see, Elijah may have thought that the showdown at Carmel was the end of his work, but it was just one more step in his journey. So the Lord wakes Elijah from his sleep, feeds him, and sends him on his way to Mount Horeb. This is the next phase in the journey, the next step of the path. And even in his fearful flight from Jezebel, Elijah is following what the Lord has for him. And each of us must realize that in our life, we will come to places of failure, to places of despair. You will believe that there is no turning back from your loss. And yet what we see from the word of the Lord is that the Lord is merely preparing you for the next stage of your journey. If you have come to a place of utter weakness and despair, it's because the Lord is working in you to bring you to this place of weakness so that He can commission you to the next stage of your work here. I'm not saying anything insightful or that nobody else has said before to say that COVID has weakened us all. It has brought us all to places of despair. Over the last two years, Pastor Ron and the other pastors and other members of staff can tell you there have been times where I've been like, oh, come on, God, what are you doing here? We're not going forward. We're not making any progress. We just seem to be going backwards. But the reality is that we believe that the Lord is using the hardships to prepare us for the next stage of ministry. He is bringing us to a place of weakness that we would come to the very end of our ropes so that we would no longer trust in ourselves and say, Lord, what are you doing? And how are you preparing us for what comes next? For the Lord has been preparing this body that we might go forward in the next stage of what it means to be about the renewing of lives in Lynchburg and the world through the powerful ministry of Christ. 
So Elijah, he's fled a hundred miles south. And now the Lord has called him to go another 200 miles south to Mount Horeb. And again, God's chosen prophet is to come to him on this same mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and come before him and hear his word. In 1 Kings 19.9, we read the Lord asking Elijah, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if I were Elijah, I'd be a bit perturbed by this question. What do you mean, what am I doing here? I wanted to die. But you sent this angel, you gave me some food, you gave me some water to miraculously sustain me for 40 days, and you brought me to this mountain. I think the better question is, Lord, what have you brought me here for? You see, the prophet played a specific role in Israel. And this is why the Lord has brought Elijah to this mountain. For the prophet was the covenant defender. He was kind of like a constitutional lawyer, if you want to put it that way. The covenant was this promise, this relationship that God had established with the people of Israel when he had brought them out of Egypt and brought Moses to Mount Sinai. He made the covenant with his people. And in the covenant said, if you break the covenant, there will be consequences. There will be judgment that comes upon the nation of Israel if you break this covenant promise with me. And the Lord has now brought Elijah back to this mountain where the covenant was made so that Elijah could be a lawyer to accuse the people of Israel for what they have done. And so we read his case against Israel in verse 10. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. These are the charges. These are the accusations. He repeats them again in verse 14. And this is why Elijah has been brought to the mountain of the Lord. He has come here to hear the Lord's judgment on the people of Israel. He has come to call down the just punishment for their covenant violations. And the Lord brings his judgment in verses 11 through 12. That is his response to Israel's apostasy. It says in verse 11, and behold, The Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. So often we can have an all or nothing approach to life. Either everything is great and we're happy with what's going on or everything is horrible and we want to just lay down and die. A friend doesn't respond to a Facebook post and we think they don't like me anymore. But that's how it always is. Nobody ever likes me. Every misfortune becomes a sign of a greater tragedy of your life. I had a friend who once was going through a difficult time in her life. 
And she found this half-used loaf of bread in the garbage and pulled it out because what a waste. And then she declared, this is the story of my life. Pulling half-used bread out of the garbage while other people get fresh stuff. You see, it was all or nothing. Everything was bad because one thing was bad. And Elijah's accusation was correct to the degree that Israel had turned from the Lord, but it was not accurate in its scale. Not all had turned aside. Yes, there would be judgment, but there is also mercy. Elijah may have wanted the wind and the earthquake and the fire to rain down upon the people of Israel, but the Lord was not found in any of these, for the Lord's judgment would not come in flame and fire, rather His judgment, that is, His word to His people in this time, would come in a small whisper. It is not an all or nothing reality. I hear this type of talk from Christians all the time about our own country. We want to think that because there are moral issues in our country that we are completely doomed. Now, there are issues. We have things that we need to address. But our country still has many godly men and women who are seeking to follow the Lord. We should wait before we come as accusers before the Lord to call down the earthquakes and the fires upon the people of our nation and our world. For the voice of the Lord will not be heard in such shows of power, but in the low whisper of His Word spoken into the hearts of those who seek Him. For the Lord is gracious even to a people who have forsaken Him. And He preserves a remnant to continue to speak forgiveness to all who will trust in His Word. Not the massive display, but the low whisper of mercy spoken to the people He loves. So what is the Lord's judgment? What will He do to these covenant breakers? Well, first we see that He will raise up three men to bring down the evil kingdom of Omri. Look at verses 15-17. through It says... And the Lord said to Elijah, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. See, Elijah was a servant, a forerunner. And it was his call to anoint those who would accomplish the mission that he had begun. He would decrease and they would increase. And the Lord would use these men to bring down the house of Omri. Haziel will bring warfare from outside the kingdom, from Syria down into Israel. Jehu will come from the inside of the nation to bring down the house of Omri. And Elisha will be the prophet who finally brings it down. You see, the Lord will defend His covenant. He will ultimately punish the wicked. Yet we see the righteousness and the mercy of the Lord. We see that even in the midst of Ahab's wickedness, the Lord has preserved a remnant. 
Look at verse 18. It says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The Lord has graciously preserved a people. And for the sake of these people, He will not bring down the whole nation. He will spare the city for the righteous few. The fire and the whirlwind and the earthquake of judgment will have to wait. For the Lord's judgment works in this way. He will not allow the evildoer to go unpunished. He will bring down the evil house of Ahab. Yet for the sake of the righteous remnant, He will preserve the nation and bring salvation. This is the exodus of Elijah. He is brought to the mountain of the Lord to hear how the Lord will punish the wicked and how the Lord will show mercy to His people. Judgment and salvation. Even as the Lord judged the nation of Egypt and destroyed their gods and saved His people through the Passover, so the Lord is now judging the evil kingdom of Omri and bringing His people to a place of salvation. You see, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And as Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem to offer His life for His people, He went up onto a mountain to pray. And we read in Luke chapter 9, And as He was praying, the appearance of His face was altered, and His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Our English translations obscure the connection a bit by translating this word departure, but it is the exact same word that is used throughout the Bible to speak of Exodus. It is the exodon in Greek. Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus of his exodus. Again, we hear biblical history's rhyme. Two men whom the Lord called to meet him on Mount Sinai to speak of their exodus have come again to the mountain of the Lord to speak to him, not this time of their exodus, but of his exodus. As we said, the notes of the Exodus are judgment and salvation. Judgment of the wicked and salvation of God's people. But in the Exodus of Jesus that is about to come, the judgment of the Lord would not fall upon the sinners, but rather it would fall upon the Lord Jesus Himself. And the salvation of the remnant would be offered to all who come to Jesus Christ in faith. For both Moses and Elijah in the midst of their exodus had requested that they would die. They said, the burden is too much for me, God. I cannot handle it. But they were denied this request to die for the burden of ministry because their exodus was just an echo, just a forerunner of the true exodus that was to be accomplished in Jesus Christ who would bear the full weight of the ministry that God had given to him, even the sins of his people. 
And He would go to the cross. And at the cross, He would defeat the evil kingdom of Satan. And He would rise from the dead that all of those who place their faith in Him might be saved out of this evil kingdom and come to a place of salvation in Christ Jesus. The exodus of Elijah and the exodus of Moses are both signs, both precursors to the true exodus that is to come. They were both there to prepare a people of God to see that the evil powers of this world will truly be judged. Yet all of those who place their faith in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ will truly receive life and life everlasting. And so as we come to the Word of God, hear the small whisper, the Gospel speaking to our heart that we might trust the Lord and follow Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to You, Lord. And we ask that You would give to us the grace that we might believe and we might follow the Lord Jesus Christ, even as He has defeated our enemy, Let us trust in Him for deliverance, knowing that His mercy is offered to all who come to Him in faith. We pray, Lord, that that message would not just reside within this building, but it would go forth into our neighborhoods. Lord, it would go forth into our families, into our state, to our nation, to the ends of the earth, that all might hear of the true exodus that was accomplished in Jesus Christ, that they might leave the kingdom of darkness and be delivered into the kingdom of the Son. We pray this in His holy name. Amen.